Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. And now, may you be blessed as we give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 19. After telling this story, Jesus went on to Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden it. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees came along, came among the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Lord, uh, the song that we have just heard is our prayer for this week. On this Palm Sunday, Palm to Passion Sunday, we know what is coming. And we choose here now not to shy away from it, but to embrace, to look upon that old rugged cross. Remember what happened there? To dwell upon it, but also to know Sunday is coming. So Holy One, lead us to Calvary during this week. Let this truly be a holy week for your people. Now, Lord, as we explore your word, as we look into wounds, we pray that you would descend upon our hearts once more. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you, O God, are, well, you are our rock and you are our redeemer. And it is in the name of Jesus that offer this prayer, and all who agreed with it said, Amen. Uh, let me start this way with a question. How many of y'all have better, ever been in an argument and realized really quickly that nobody's going to win? Anybody? <laughs> no one's going to be satisfied at the end of this. I've had um, some conversations recently, well, over life, with rational and sane individuals about good and holy things and about not-so-good and not-so-holy things. And I have found that sometimes I have been in the middle of a power grab. 
right there, right? And the only thing that matters in the midst of that power grab is who's going to win. Anybody? Just me? It dawned on me that I have a pattern in this, and I'm not proud of it. It's a realization. What I generally do when I realize that there's a power grab, power, power grab going on is I dismiss it, I double down, and I try to win all the more. Anybody else like me? You can confess. It's okay. We're amongst family. The longing for power is just is too much. So I, I've been learning to do something in the middle of power grabs. I've been in a lot recently, and uh, this particular power grab, in the moment of it, I've been trying to, instead of dig my heels in, to say something to myself. Maybe this will help you. In the midst of these power grabs that I'm having quite a bit here recently, try and pause, and I try and say, Ali, daddy needs to stop right now and take a time out. <laughs> power grabs with a toddler, man, they're nuts. It's the worst. Of course, power grabs with just about every other aspect of life are awful too, aren't they? I mean, it's one thing to pick up a toddler underneath your arm and take him into a room and put him in time out. It's a whole other thing to do that with an adult. Probably not a good idea either. Well, this morning, we're finishing, and definitely bad idea with your spouse. Don't try that, okay? It's not in here. Just... This morning, we're finishing up this Lenten series on these wounds that occur deep down at our roots. Uh, our point has been to find some grounding for behaviors that we keep getting tripped up on. Uh, when we explode in anger, when we struggle in, in gluttony, we get caught up in sloth, and we can't figure out why do we keep going back to these same ongoing sins and vices. Is there something that keeps drawing us to this? Well, that something we've uncovered is a wound, a wound that needs healing. And we've been saying that God longs for his children to be whole, not in bits and pieces, not just rescued from damnation reserved with a reservation for a cloud and a harp and the sweet by and by, but to have life to its fullest here, now. And to have life to its fullest means that there's healing for wounds that God wants, longs for you and for me. Today, we're talking about a wound of the loss of power. Powerlessness, I believe, as it's written in your bulletin. But we're also going to talk about a vice that I'm going to warn you will probably make some of us a little uncomfortable, maybe even squeamish. Before we get to that vice, let's talk about this wound and let's see how it's been lived out in this very familiar passage that, that, that Pastor Chad read for us, but we've seen played out over and over again this morning. Palm Sunday, for those of us who are Christians, is a really big day. It is a joy-filled day. That to this, to this moment creates in me this longing for Jesus to just get on with it, come back, and do the king thing in reality now. It points us to this moment when all will be right. When the cries of Hosanna, which is Hebrew for rescue and save us, will have been our reality. What happens? Well, Jesus wakes up early that morning and he tells the boys, go get me a donkey, which I always say in my head in Shrek voice. 
And they return, and as they do, a parade breaks out. And Jesus winds down the pathway from the Mount of Olives towards the gate of Jerusalem. And as he comes into town, the pilgrims who are coming to the big city for Holy Week, their Holy Week, Passover, they get caught up in praise and thanksgiving, and they start singing, and they start shouting, which always makes me go, when was the last time I sang and shouted on my way to church? Because that's what they're doing. And it is loud, and it is uncontrollable, and it is raucous. And there's three-year-olds or two-year-olds laughing at the top of their lungs. And as they get close to the city gates, to the teaching steps of the temple, they look up and the huge stones are towering above them. And as they do, they get there, the religious leaders step out and they dig in their heels, don't they? And what happens? They criticize, they complain, they, they are upset because of it's just not orderly. Palm Sunday is a big day because of the joy and the hope, but it also reminds us and points us that there are other events that are yet to come this week. The religious folk, they get all puffed up. Tell the rabble to be quiet. We anticipate a riot. This common crowd is much too loud. That's not Dr. Seuss. That's Jesus Christ Superstar. It's my favorite. In 1973, when the film came out, they had the priest standing on the scaffolding. And they're looking down at this common rabble who are not nearly as sophisticated as they are. I would venture to guess that many in the crowd didn't hear the religious leaders, but can you imagine being someone who did? Just think about that. Full of joy, one second, dancing, celebrating, only to hear one of your respected leaders say, knock it off, you dumb little nobody. Which is, in essence, what they heard. How demoralizing. Now, if you've never read any of the other interactions that Jesus has with these religious leaders, you might think this is a really out-of-place story. But the Gospels make it really clear. Jesus and this group, they're constantly at odds. Jesus comes with a message that says, God's kingdom is here. By the way, um, that is good news. That's the good news that Jesus taught. I often hear uh, people that say that Jesus' message was just about love. Uh, well, that's only part his announcement, the good news of the gospel, was that God's rule, God's wholeness, is breaking into our plane of existence and is bringing healing, redemption, holiness, and life, all of which involves love, here and now. That's the good news. That's the good news of a Christian. Religious leaders, you see, they had it all figured out. They were caretakers of the message. Jesus' words were longed for, but he was just doing it all wrong. He's asking them to, to give up their right to be right and instead choose righteousness. Instead, they're holding on to something that they just can't release, and Jesus becomes a threat. If he's a threat, well, what if they've messed it up? What if, what if they have to change? God forbid, what if they have to admit that they've been careless with carrying and representing the name of God? It was more than they could bear. And Jesus looked at this hypocrisy for what it truly was. It was a power grab. Following 
what, what Pastor Chad read, we, we see Jesus weeping over this city, Jerusalem, a city that he loved, a city that it had ongoing power problems for millennia. Still does if you watch the news this week. Then as he enters the temple, God's house, he sees power, what the power grabs have done. Instead of finding a place of prayer, of joy, and of hope, Jesus finds a marketplace where dishonesty and bribery and greed are at an all-time high. And what does Jesus do? He flips out. I mean, literally, he flips tables. He goes after it. And, and in that moment, if it hadn't been already, Jesus' fate with those religious leaders is sealed. And from palms, we're drawn, drawn to passion. Power trips. Power grabs, whether with a toddler, a spouse, a coworker, friend, politician, they're always ugly. Winning becomes the only thing that matters, and, and really no one wins when all is said and done. But, but for Jesus, the solution wasn't become a mat for people to wipe their feet on, a walk-all-over-me attitude. No, not on Palm Sunday. He spoke to their complaints. He also spoke to their lust for power. He didn't argue. He spoke truth, and he moved on. Being, being powerless removes truth. It, it reduces someone to a something. Powerlessness is what the parade-goer must have felt when that religious leader spoke such, so condescendingly to them. It, it was its inferiority. It's an attempt to make somebody else feel weaker. Powerlessness is being trapped and having no way out. Anybody ever felt that way? You don't have to show your hand. This week, while studying and preparing for this moment right now, I had an incident that removed my sense of power and control in a part of my life. Do you know what I was feeling? Weary. I was overexerted in my mind, my body, and my soul. I wrestled with disappointment, a little despair. The more I circled, the less power and control I felt, and so I had a little pity party because self-pity is a natural outcome of powerlessness. Then I ate more chocolate than I needed, and I skipped out on going to the gym because, well, my self-care just goes right out the window. Weariness, disappointment, despair self-pity, and a lack of self-care, those are all responses to a wound of powerlessness. Now, I'd like to tell you that I realized my wound, I prayed, and the answer came clear to me, and everything was just great. Nope, didn't happen. The problem is still very much a problem, and it will be something I have to deal with, and it will be a huge inconvenience to me, and I don't have any power over it. But you know what I realized? In those moments in my circling, I was letting it rob me of my joy, and I don't want, when my joy is robbed, to go down a similar pathway than that of the religious leaders. What a bunch of joyous yucks. I don't want my powerlessness to distract me and make it easier to fall into a vice that is the most common for the wound of powerlessness. What is this vice, Jim? Well, you can see it in the religious leaders. They have this excessive desire to violate the dignity of somebody else, to turn them into a possession or an object 
Their self-gratification overcomes any kind of ability to see the other as equally human or equally as God's children. The demand for power was really was little more than what we historically call the vice of lust. Now, lust is a pleasure of the flesh that comes at the expense of others. It is a twisted pursuit. It is an attempt to fill a gap in our soul with what we believe will grant relief and control. These actions turn other people into objects rather than beings. And rather than letting our, our, our gaps or our wounds be filled and healed by God, we instead turn to behaviors that offer a form of power and control over somebody else. Now, obviously, you mentioned lust in church, and immediately we think of sexuality. So let's just start there, shall we? Church, we have a sexuality problem in the church. We've either talked down, to, uh, down about sex too little, making it just an act, or we've elevated it to something that most people can't relate to. We're accused of worrying and talking about it way too much, all the while our culture is obsessed with it. When retailers are marketing to six-year-old little girls sexier underwear, we have a problem. The answers, as we have found out, isn't in puritanical laws. That hasn't worked. But neither is rejecting restraints in the name of empowerment and revolution. There's no answer there. We, you and I, are created beings of a good God. Can I get an amen there? Making sure we're on the same page. And that God created us with sexuality as a part of who we are. Notice I said a part. We're not defined as sexual beings. Doing so reduces us to little more than creatures, animals. And even pagan social scientists and philosophers reject that. We are holistic beings, mind, body, soul, spiritual beings with the physical bodies that were created to honor one another and enjoy all that God has given us. But somewhere along the line, we've bought into an untruth that says, as long as I'm happy, then everything is okay. I want to give you a definition for that. It's called lust. It's, called, it's also corrosive. It plays itself self out every day in a million ways, and there are always victims. Oh, Jim, lust is a victimless crime. Nope. Pornography is killing our nation. Adultery rips apart families and treats loved ones as objects. When more doctors have to move into retirement communities because of STDs, we have a problem. That's not liberation. That's self-pleasure at the expense of another. But lust isn't just about sexuality. That's the easy thing to talk about. Lust is about power. It's about control. It's about treating somebody else as an object rather than as a child of the living God. Lust is about seeking your, your own fullness at all costs. Lust is self-gratitude to a place where you lose dignity. You lose dignity for yourself. You lose dignity for those around you. You can be asexual and still struggle with lust. It's still an objectification of another. You can lust for power and control and career and purchases. Lust is the objectification of some, someone or something else for the sake of control. 
The religious leader's lust was for that very thing, control. Jesus was costing them their possessions, their their positions, their wealth, their importance, potentially their security. And what do they do? They lust for more. They want others to be little more. You're the rabble. It's easier to see the crowd as a bunch of nobodies. Nobodies that they could then later bribe and manipulate to demand that an innocent man be tortured and crucified. The ancient Christians have a virtue to put in the place of lust. They call it chastity. On late night television shows, chastity is a joke. Chastity is more than physical. It is a choice to embrace a different reality. A reality about your and my identity. It's about doing what Jesus did when the power grab was being dropped. While the Pharisees saw objects, Jesus saw what? People. His people the children of the Father. Chastity is a worldview that doesn't look for objects, but looks for a beloved one sitting next to you. Chastity is a lifestyle of openness and true freedom, about honoring and about joy. Lust turns God-given desires of longing into secrets of privacy and hiding. Lust is a problem in our society and in our church, but rather than name it, we really want to pretend that it's not there. We'd rather tiptoe around it, to to let private matters stay private, to keep bedroom things and late-night computer screens in the dark. We don't want to bring it up. But we also have this desire to see the church of Jesus Christ energized and alive like it was in the book of Acts. Can it be both? I'll never say never. God can do a whole lot even in the midst of our sin, but lust of any kind in the church, it just don't work. God longs for you and for me to be whole and free, and that includes healing from power grabs and lust. In the last 20 plus years of ministry, I have talked to a lot of people about the wound of powerlessness and the vice of lust. At times where there have been men that have held me accountable, helped me choose to look for people rather than to treat others as objects. I've deleted apps on my, uh, my phone and iPad that at one point were part about life. They were meant for good, but had been turned into a space for trading, for trading self-pleasure and objectification. I've spoken with men and women about the control that lust of all kinds has over them. And here, you want to know what I've learned? Here's what I know. We have a God who wants us to be free. It may not be easy. It probably won't be quick. It will mean that you need to get honest and find some folks to journey with, but it is possible. See, I'm really thankful for this incident that robbed me of power this week in the midst of this. Again, huge inconvenience. Real pain in the rear end, quite frankly. As I've studied and as I, as I looked at what I was going to share with you all this morning, I realized I'm preaching to myself. It was an opportunity for me to turn a wound into a time of prayer and praise and confession. I called, texted some of my friends, my guys, my hobber, my small group, and said, hey, I'm struggling with powerless and weariness and self-pity. One of them said, knock it off. <laughs> He's standing in the back, back there. 
It's a choice in that moment to trust his grace rather than my ability to control. You see, that's my struggle. I want to control. One DS once said to me, Jim, no, you're a very methodical thinker. I said, no, I'm a schemer. It's a problem. It didn't mean that the problem went away. It wasn't easy. But recognizing my wound, facing it dead on, realizing that I had little to no power allowed me to accept it rather than objectify. Beloved, I want to share these words with you as a close. Hear these words. If you are feeling powerless, if you are feeling powerless, if you are gripped by lust of any kind, you can have freedom. And there is grace to overcome it. Marvelous, matchless, amazing grace that is sufficient and a grace that will invite you to a life that will look much different than any kind of power grab that we're trying to win. There is victory. There is healing. So bring it out to the light and watch what the king can do. Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, to pause and breathe. I realize that the words that invited me to share this morning are heavy for some, for many of us. It's easy to, um, to push aside gluttony or sloth even rage. This thing about lust, this idea of being powerless and trying to find control, well, that's something totally different. It's one of those closet things that we don't want to talk about, we don't want to bring out because, well, what would it say about me? And yet we know, Lord, that this world, this your world, is just corrupted by it right now. It's everywhere. And so, Lord, where we as a church have failed to speak life and openness and honesty about this one part of our identity, we pray your forgiveness. We also pray, Lord, that you would use this moment to empower us to, to apply the salve of your freedom, to take on chastity and a different identity of, of the people around us rather than the objects around us. Pray, God, that this would be a healing moment. As we come closer to the celebration of Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then Easter, Lord, speak to us at the wounds of our soul, the roots of who we are. We ask for healing and wholeness. Remind us, Lord, as we journey through these, this final week, Sunday is coming. Easter Sunday is coming, and we are an Easter people. 
fill us with your life, with your wholeness, with your mercy and grace, so much so that the world will take notice. Lord, we honor you, we thank you, and we give you all the praise on this Palm Sunday. Save us again, we pray. We offer this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all who agreed with it said, Amen.